Hi friends, welcome to Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. I'm Nicolette and we are so glad to have you joining our church community. As a human being, you are made and created for fellowship, not just with God, but with other human beings. When we live in a loving community, fellowship and communion with both God and others, we experience a deep joy and fullness to life, even in spite of circumstances. Today, Pastor Char Broderson will open up 1 John as he shares how at CCCM, we believe in the importance of being in community with other believers. Community is vital to our identity in Christ. We cannot grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ without others. Every Christian is to cultivate community in everyday life, to live in fellowship and communion with others with other Christians, bearing one another's burdens and sharing in each other's joys. When we love one another, God shows up. Community is not an organization, it's a way of living. If you're part of this community and attend our gatherings on a regular basis, you've heard us say this phrase, we are seeking to be a Jesus-formed community on mission. And this statement, what we call our vision statement, it's just meant to help us understand the values and priorities of this ch local church community. This is what we're about. This is where we want to go as a community of God's people, but it's also meant as an invitation to each of us to take hold of our discipleship, to invest in that work of being a Jesus-formed community on mission in order that you know we would build ourselves up in the holy faith that we would love one another practice the way of jesus and that that would flow from our lives to the surrounding area and as we just prayed that god's love would fill orange county now we believe this statement a jesus formed community on mission really encapsulates both what we believe is the biblical vision and our convictions of the priorities and responsibilities of each and every follower of Jesus and the priority of the local church. And you might remember, but back in September, I shared this vision statement and we unpacked each of these points. We talked about formation. What do we mean by that? Well, we really mean discipleship. We mean that every Christian is first and foremost a disciple of Jesus and is called to grow in conformity to Jesus, to be more like Jesus. And we do this through being with Jesus, beholding him, reading over scripture, allowing it to wash over us, renew us. We do this by practicing the way of Jesus, that what we read in scripture, particularly the teachings of Jesus, the life of Jesus, that we practice this finally so that it becomes a part of our person. It becomes almost second nature to us. Community, we believe that every Christian is called to cultivate Christian community, to live in fellowship and communion with other Christians, bearing each other's burdens and fulfilling the law of Christ, or another way to put that is the way of Jesus. Essentially, our conviction is that every disciple of Jesus needs to cultivate a Jesus community with a smaller band of other Jesus followers in order to help them grow to be more and more like Jesus. And finally, mission. Every Christian is a witness of the good news of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God, both in our words, but also in our actions. 
and mission or giving witness to God and his kingdom, this really is a community effort that is driven by Christ-like character, being practiced and cultivated in both our private and public lives. And that character lived out among God's people causes them to stand out as children of light. And it provokes these questions, right? What is with you people? You're strange, you're weird. I, I love this statement, keep Christianity weird. Um, and of course, there's one version of that that I'm not for, but there's this other like peculiarness to God's people that is so strange. Just an example of this. When I first moved to Santa Rosa back in 2005, I just started meeting with some of the young men in our church, spending time with them, opening up scripture, and just pouring into their lives. And just as I did this, you know, I remember one time meeting with a friend of mine named Cameron, and I just said to him afterwards, hey, I love you. Like, it was so great hanging out with you. And he was just like, what the what? And a couple weeks later, you know, after like all the, you know, weirdness kind of wore off, he just told me, I have never had another man say that to me before in my life. And that was the weirdest thing. And I thought, huh, interesting. You've never had another man tell you that he loves you. That's weird among many people. But it's actually very normal for the people of God to love one another, to affirm our love, to demonstrate our love for one another. Keep Christianity weird. Keep following in the way of Jesus because this stands out. And as Leslie Newbegin said, he says, the people of God live in such a way that people ask questions for which the gospel is the only answer. Now, our deep conviction as we read the scriptures is that Jesus' formation, discipleship to Jesus, lived in a community of God's people, has this redoubling effect that it pours out upon all those around it. And so that formation plus community leads to mission and witness of the kingdom of God. Because mission of God, excuse me, the mission of God is something that flows from the life of a disciple and of the Jesus community. Now, I know that a Jesus-formed community on mission is a packed statement full of meaning. And so we want to return to this vision statement regularly. As I said, that we can all know, okay, yeah, this is what we're about. This is what we're doing together. This is what we're practicing together. And so this morning, I want to specifically emphasize our community life and what it might look like to live out our discipleship to Jesus in community with one another. And I need to say this. I am not speaking to you as someone who has this all figured out. I think community is something that we probably have to just continually work at throughout our lives, depending on the stage of life, um, depending on circumstances, you know, just our schedule with our family or with our work or whatever it might be, right? Sometimes in seasons of sickness or seasons of depression, it might look different. And, you know, recently our family moved to Orange County. And for me, I have lived, I lived 13 years in San Diego. I lived uh, almost five years in London. And then I spent 16 years in the North Bay. I actually only lived in Orange County in my early 20s for about four, maybe almost five years. And so, and even my friends that lived here, they're just all gone. 
most of them. And so for us coming back here, we did not have deep roots. Yes, my parents live here, my wife's parents live here, but friendship and community, all of this is new to us. So we're really figuring this out again after 16 years of being in the same place. We're uprooted and having to reroot in a new community. So I have a new job, I have new friendships, I have, my kids have a new school, they have, we have new neighbors. All of this is New. And so I just want to say, I know firsthand the struggle to live in consistent fellowship and community with other Christians. Making new friends is hard, especially if you're past 30. I don't know what happens, but all of a sudden we're just like, oh, I don't know how to talk to people anymore. Man, it's like, I, my son Judah, he would just walk up to people on the playground since he was so little and just be like, hi, my name is Judah. Would you like to be my friend? Let's play. You know, it's just like, I wish I could do that, but I am just like so in my head, and you are too, and for some reason, it's very difficult to make friends as you get older. We get comfortable in our routines. We're busy with work and family. All that to say, I get it. But community is essential to the disciple of Jesus. It is vital to our identity in Christ. You and I cannot grow in deep formation to Jesus Christ without the help of other followers of Jesus affirming us, helping us, loving us, correcting us, forgiving us, loving us, and then us doing that, vice versa. I mean, just think about what we read here, First John. No one has ever seen God. Do you ever feel that? Like, where is God? I've never seen God. No one has ever seen God. But when we love one another, the love of God is made complete in us. I take that to mean when we love one another, God shows up. We meet him in the eye contact that we give to one another. We meet God as our fellow Christian brothers and sisters come around us and strengthen us, sacrifice their time, money, and resource to invest in us. That's where we meet the living God in our day-to-day living Now, rather than only being a command that we ought to follow, you know, sometimes people quote the verse, well, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage each other. Yes, that's true. But more than that, community flows from our discipleship to Jesus. So I want to begin this morning by simply reminding us that we are created for community. We're made for it. You know, community is absolutely essential to humanity. Humans have been made in the image of God, who is Father, Son, and Spirit. And as Father, Son, and Spirit, God dwells in unending communion, fellowship, community of love, self-giving, and glory. And in the beginning, when God creates 
humanity. Remember the story. God creates Adam, and after declaring all his works to be good and good and good and good, God looks at the man who is alone, and he says, this is not good. Now, that's not just a positive affirmation of marriage. It is that, and we often take it to only mean that. It's also an indictment to human loneliness. Humans are not created to be alone. God has made us for friendship, for companionship, for fellowship, and for community. When we live in isolation, it often deepens our despair about the world, even about our own selves, often resulting in depression, apathy, anxiety, which actually just leads to further isolation. We are now witnessing major spikes in mental health coming out of the pandemic due to isolation and loneliness. We, see, when we live our lives in community, connection and fellowship, it actually aligns with who God has made us to be. And we experience deep satisfaction and soul fulfillment because it aligns with our God-given identity as image bearers. Now, it's not just scripture that affirms this. We see this in all sorts of contexts. Uh, there's so much data coming out about the effects of the pandemic and the isolation there. But listen to this. The Harvard Gazette put out an article in 2017 titled, Good Genes Are Nice, But Joy Is Better. The subtitle reads, Harvard study almost 80 years old has proved that embracing community helps us live longer and be happier. Quoting from the article, it says, over the years, researchers have studied the participants' health trajectories in their broader lives. This includes their triumphs and failures in careers and marriage. And the findings have produced startling lessons, and not only for the researchers. The surprising finding is that our relationships and how happy we are in our relationships has a powerful influence on our health, said Robert Waldinger, director of the study and a psychiatrist at Massachusetts General Hospital and a professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. He goes on, taking care of your body is important, but tending to your relationships is a form of self-care too. That, I think, is the revelation. Close relationships more than money or fame are what keep people happy throughout their lives, the study revealed. The ties protect people from life's discontents, help to delay mental and physical decline, and are better predictors of long and happy lives than social class, IQ, or even genes. Those who kept warm relationships got to live longer and happier, said Waldinger, and the loners often died earlier. Loneliness kills, he says. It's as powerful as smoking or alcoholism. Now, the point of sharing this is not to appeal to self-care or to appeal to your desire to live longer and healthier. 
That's all fine. I'll let somebody else do that for you. My point is that the scientific research points us back to the biblical truth that we have been made for community and that when we ex experience Excuse me, and that in community we experience a greater fullness and joy to life than when we live, as they put it, in warm relationships. Pastor and theologian Herbert Arnold wrote this life in community is no less than a necessity for us, it is an inescapable must that determines everything we do and think. Yet it's not our good intentions or efforts that, we have been that have been decisive in our choosing this way of life. Rather, we have been overwhelmed by a certainty. A certainty that has its origin and power in the source of everything that exists. We acknowledge God as this source. We must live in community because all life created by God exists in a communal order and works toward community. So just to remind you and encourage you again this morning, you are made for community. When humans live in community, we flourish. We live longer. We experience deeper joy and satisfaction. But it's not just that humans are made in the image of God and are made for community. More than that, community, communion, or fellowship is something that flows from the life of the follower of Jesus. Because we have been loved with such an incredible love, because we have been brought into the family of God, because our sins are forgiven us for Jesus' sake, this experience that we call salvation or regeneration propels the follower of Jesus into fellowship, not just with God, but with others. Not just to love God, but to love of neighbor as well. And this is what John writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer so wisely said, Christianity could never be merely intellectual theory, doctrine divorced from life or mystical emotion, but always it must be responsible, obedient action. The discipleship of Christ in every situation of concrete, everyday life, personal and public. It must be incarnated. It must be practiced and lived out in the real, everyday ins and outs of life. Or it's worthless. It's meaningless. So as disciples of Jesus, this practice of deep connection with other people, especially other followers of Jesus, will and should flow from our lives no matter where we are, what we're doing, so that whether we are in a momentary conversation or spending long hours together, we live authentically with one another. You know, I just have in my mind this heart's desire that my interactions with you would build you up. 
would encourage you, and I've shared this before, but every Sunday morning that I come here or any you know, pastoral care meeting that I do or even working with our staff, my prayer is constantly, Lord, can I just connect with one person in a deep way? Can I just affirm someone in their belovedness today? Can I just, you know, I often think of myself like a spiritual mechanic, and maybe, I don't know, maybe that's egotistical, but I just think like, okay, like bring the car in and like, let's just do like a little tune-up. Where is there love that's needed? Where is there encouragement that's needed? Where is there affirmation that's needed? I think that this is a great example of how we are to live our lives with one another. Remember Paul the Apostle, he says, let your words be seasoned with salt that they may impart grace. That can be strength, that can be help, that can be generosity, that they might impart grace to the hearer. This is something that flows from the follower of Jesus. That whether we are in deep friendship with another follower of Jesus or we are passing one another on the way to the restroom or to pick up our children, that we have this desire and also this action from our lives to do good to one another, to build one another up. Now, going back to this idea of community, communion, or fellowship flowing from the life of the follower of Jesus, I think sometimes we think of community and fellowship in a general sense. And I just highlighted that. Like, we're passing by, hey, how you doing? Great, good to see you, whatever it might be, right? We, we pass the Christian pleasantries, right? Sometimes we think of community and fellowship in a general sense. I have community with other Christians because I come to our Sunday gathering or because I'm committed to our midweek gathering. And I often stay and talk with people after, and that is me being in community. So I would like to challenge this idea of community as only attending when the church gathers together on Sunday or on Wednesday or for a you know, small Bible study and say this. Loving people in general is oftentimes a way of loving no one in particular. Or maybe another way to put that is being in community in general might actually be an excuse for not being in community with anyone at all. Who are those pers persons in your life that you affirm their belovedness, that you know what they're going through, and you are the one who is checking in on them, bringing encouragement, bringing hope, bringing rest to their soul, and vice versa. Who are those people in your lives? Do you have that? See, God has not designed us to go at it alone. He's given us a network of believers to lift us up, to encourage us, to walk alongside us. Just like Priscilla was saying in that beautiful video, all the things that she has experienced, she knows that she has gone through these things in order to give that wisdom and that experience to others, to give them hope, to give them peace through the things they're walking through. And this isn't just Priscilla saying this. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, right? 
Whatever we have gone through, we know that God is using this that we might bring strength and help and encouragement to other believers. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Christian community is so much more than a regular attendance or a weekly gathering. It really is a way of life. Henry Nouwen writes in his book, Community, by community, I don't mean formal communities. I mean families, friends, parishes, 12-step programs, prayer groups. Community is not an organization. Community is a way of living. Listen to this. This is beautiful. You gather around you people with whom you want to proclaim the truth that we are the beloved sons and daughters of God. It's as simple as that. We gather with those to affirm our belovedness as sons and daughters of God. So I want to talk now just about being a Jesus-formed community. A Jesus-formed community is a community whose culture and values center on the person of Jesus, right? It's not like you know, we're just all really into reading, and so we've decided to read the Bible, and that's why we come together. No, we're here because we want to grow and be more like Jesus. We want to follow Jesus. We want to be transformed by Jesus. We want to know Jesus. We want to experience his Jesus' Jesus's love, and we want Jesus' love to be experienced by the people that we live with. Now, this way of life was clearly practiced by the early church. Acts 2, 42 through 47 is like the go-to passage, right? It describes the early church as devoting themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to the common life or fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers. And for me, whenever I think about this passage, it's the early church isn't just like getting together for Bible study, right? Like, okay, well, Genesis chapter two, here we go. What are they doing? What is the apostles' doctrine? It's the Jesus story, right? The, the apostles are connecting the Jesus story to the greater redemptive arc of the scriptures and showing how all of the scripture is pointing to Jesus as the goal. That's what they're doing. They're getting together. I just imagine people like, Peter, tell us again how he opened the eyes of the blind. Remind us again of how Jesus healed the man that was lowered from the roof. Remind us again how he wept with Mary and Martha at the tomb of Lazarus. Tell us the story. And this is what the early church did. They gathered around the story of Jesus again and again. But it wasn't only that. They gathered around the Jesus way of living. That's the fellowship or communion or community. You know, the word that's used here is the word, Greek word koinonia, and it means all those things, fellowship, friendship, community. And so they gathered around the communal way of life, which was the way of Jesus, practicing his love together. But not only that, they broke bread together, and that was remembering the death of Jesus for their sake. So they gathered around Jesus' sin-atoning, life-giving death. And finally, they were a community that prayed together. They prayed the Jesus story into their own lives, that God's kingdom would come, that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
And listen to the further description of this community. It says, then all the believers were together and had everything in common. That's that common way of life. They sold property, possessions, in order to give to anyone that had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, the Jesus story for the early church wasn't just something they subscribed to intellectually. It was made manifest in their lives. It, they incarnated the love of God. It was a way of life. Their lives became marked by bearing one another's burdens, making sure that no one lacked anything and no one considered anything as their own uh, to be used for their own benefit and not the benefit of others. But just as need arose, they gave generously and freely. This Jesus-formed community was a place then where the effects of the gospel and the kingdom of God were felt physically. Needs were met. There wasn't any selfishness going on. There were no divisions among them. They lived simply, they practiced gratitude. They were in awe of God and his great love. Signs and wonders were being done, and God was adding people to the family of God regularly. For the early church, community flowed from their discipleship to Jesus. It's interesting to think of it that way. For the early church, community flowed from their discipleship to Jesus. What naturally flows from the lives of Americans? What do you think? I think radical individualism. Just something that naturally flows. And because of that, because of our discipleship to Jesus, we actually have to push against our culture's idol of self-sufficiency. We have to push against our natural tendency to make each family its own little kingdom. We have to fight the cultural norm of individuality and be intentional and purposeful about doing life together. There's this incredible story about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in fact, where he is doing a seminary at a place called Finkenwald. And this is where he wrote, uh, or basically got all the experience of his book, Life Together. But it's a story where he goes out with a friend, and they are standing on this plateau, and they're overlooking uh, a Nazi training facility. And the planes are flying in, they're taking off, they're doing their patterns, all these things. They're training for war. And Bonhoeffer, I'm paraphrasing the story, but Bonhoeffer's talking to his friend here, and he says, what we're doing at Finkenwald must be stronger than this. You think about just the zeitgeist of Germany at that time that they had convinced the people this was the waters they were swimming in, nationalism in Germany, and just the German, you know, right, the, the, the Volk, the people, and how they had all been swept up in this. 
the cultural zeitgeist. And Bonhoeffer is looking at all that, and he is saying this, Christian formation in the way of Jesus, this community of Jesus' people must be stronger than this. We must be more devoted to the cause of Christ than the Nazis are to the Third Reich. It's no different in our day. It may not be Nazi Germany, and I'm not comparing the U.S. to Nazi Germany, but there is a zeitgeist in our own day. There always has been, there always will be. The way of the world, what is natural to us, what serves self, but the way of Jesus for the people of God must be stronger than that. And that requires us to reorient our lives. You know, we say that often. We need to reorient our lives around the way of Jesus. We need to pattern the priorities of our lives around doing what Jesus did. Jesus lived in community with his disciples. Jesus' disciples lived in community with the early church. If we are not doing that as God's people, we need to reorder our lives. We need to reprioritize our lives. This must be stronger than all of that. I mentioned earlier in the introduction, but this is our conviction, that every disciple of Jesus needs to cultivate a Jesus community with a small band of other Jesus followers in order to help us grow to be more like Jesus. That's it. Because you cannot be made more like Jesus in isolation or a vacuum. You just can't. You need others to practice the way of Jesus with. In community, I think it actually has to be cultivated by both formal and informal gatherings, just like any family. And as the family of God, right, we do this to work out our salvation and also enjoy the gift of life and friendship in Jesus. I mentioned this earlier, but this is really true. Community gives us an actual network of support in following Jesus and navigating the difficulties of life. Some of you know this, but my daughter, who is now eight years old, she was born with a congenital heart disease. And this was just completely um, out of the blue for us, you know, just totally sidelined us as parents. We did not do uh, some of the vital uh, checks. You know, they do this check um, when your child is still in utero just to check about all the major organs. And usually it's, you know, to... Uh, you know, find out if there's Down syndrome or other issues. And many times it has been so that you can choose whether you want to keep your baby or not. And so Grace and I are just like, look, we're keeping our baby no matter what, so we don't need to do this thing. So anyway, we missed the fact that Evelyn's heart was growing wrong and that she actually had what's called um, transition of the great arteries. I might be getting this wrong, and my wife will correct me afterwards if I am this wrong. So anyway, when Evelyn was born, after 12 hours, they did a vital heart check and found that she was suffocating. She wasn't going to make it. And so just immediately, you can imagine the tailspin that we went into. You know, your daughter has a heart disease, and she's going to die unless we do immediate surgery. Heart disease? Open heart surgery? What are you talking about, right? And I'll never forget the incredible outpouring of love 
and support that we experience, not just from our church community, but from the community of God's people in Santa Rosa, from the community of God's people here at Calvary Costa Mesa. You guys, I'm not even exaggerating, to the ends of the earth. People came out of the woodwork bringing encouragement to us, telling us stories of how they had been through similar things and about the faithfulness of God to them and the assurance of God's faithfulness to us. It meant the world to us. It was everything. It was our lifeline when we could not see a way forward. Now, to... Maybe, you know, that's a great degree, but also to the smallest degree, this is what the Christian community does. Walks with us, assures us through the ups and downs of life of the faithfulness of God, of the goodness of God, of the forgiveness of God. This is what God's people do. These Jesus communities are where we cultivate love. Love of God, love of neighbor. It's where we're reminded of the great love of God for us, and we stir up affections for Jesus with one another. It's where we cultivate faith. We tell one another our stories of how God has worked, about how God is at work in us, and we celebrate God's faithfulness together. You know, I think about this idea of being a storied people. The people of God being a storied people, meaning that we live in that great story, that the story of the world is not a tragedy. The story of the world is a redemptive story. One, that though hell and the devil and all evil came against God, God in the end finally triumphs and rescues his people, his creation, and restores it to what none of us could have possibly imagined. You know, Frederick Buechner wrote this book years ago called Telling the Truth, and he, it's an incredible book. I highly recommend it, and it's just coming into my brain right now. But he says, it's three chapters, I think, and it's the gospel is comedy, the gospel is tragedy, and the gospel as fairy tale. And just how the gospel really tells these great stories in this way. The gospel is comedy, the gospel is tragedy, the gospel is fairy tale. Highly recommend this book. But story people live in the story of God and then tell our stories and connect them with one another to that great story. That as God has redeemed in the past, and God will redeem all things, so God is redeeming all of us. And like Paul said in Romans chapter 8, all things do work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We cultivate faith as we meet together. We cultivate honesty. We need community where we know each other's stories, like I just mentioned, the joys, the griefs, the burdens, and that we're also known in the same way. Friends who know us best 
love us most, and can tell us truth that we need to hear. But guess what? There are also people out there that don't have that kind of friendship, and it is the calling of the people of God to draw them in. People need a listening ear. As I mentioned earlier, this friend of mine, he had never been told by another man, I love you. Your friendship is of value to me. These are the things that I see in you. God is at work in you. There are so many people, people in God's church that need that kind of friendship, that kind of camaraderie. Finally, we cultivate service. We bear one another's burdens physically, spiritually. We practice hospitality with one another. Hospitality, in my mind, is bigger than just you know, a meal. It's supporting someone through the various stages of life. I've shared this before, but my wife, we have a dear friend who always says this to my wife, you are never too much, you're always enough. And you're welcome as you are where you are. We need that kind of hospitality in our lives as the people of God. I need to wrap this up. A Jesus-formed community has Jesus at its center so that everyone is both cultivating and modeling a Jesus-formed life as we practice these values and virtues of love, faith, honesty, and service with one another. And it's the Spirit of God who makes it grow. It's the Spirit of God who adds his grace to this community and forms us in the way of Jesus. Again, from Henry Nowen, he says this, community is a place marked by acceptance, intimacy, and vulnerability, where we can bear fruit in solidarity with others and be the body of Christ for the sake of the world. It's a place of care and celebration, the place where our wounds and weaknesses are exposed, a sheltered place for the confession of sin and brokenness, and a house of of love, where we can receive forgiveness and offer it in return. That's what a Jesus-formed community is. Now, as I close, I think it's always so important to answer the question, okay, but how? We have so many opportunities, I believe, for us to live out this Jesus-formed community through the various small groups that we host from men's and women's ministry to home fellowships to care groups. Let me just say this. The ideal, the goal is to live in community. Home groups, small groups, cell groups, meals, whatever it is, these are simply training wheels, right? The point is not the tool. The point is to ride the bike, right? And enjoy riding the bike. And the training wheels often help do that. Community groups, all these things, they're just training wheels. They're just helping you learn what it actually means to live in Christian community. So if these are helpful to you, great. If you're already living in community, practicing the way of Jesus with other believers, awesome. That is great. Keep going. But for those of you that are just like, send me a lifeline, give me everything you got, help, S-O-S, we have a community life pastor. Tom Walker is going to be available in the courtyard afterwards. He would just love to share with you just more about the how of community life here 
at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. We have community groups. We currently have 11 home groups. We have five men's fellowship groups. We have five care groups that meet regularly. We have 21 Joyful Life women's groups that meet almost every Friday, unpacking scripture and applying it and living that out with one another. Woohoo. That's right. <laughs> Let me say this as well. Maybe you have a hospitality gift or a service gift. And maybe God is calling you to step out and facilitate, facilitate a group of some kind. We would love to talk to you more about that in the courtyard. We have all of this available. Not only that, we also have community group curriculum. For those of you that want to do a home group, want to be involved in a home group, we have a beautiful curriculum that simply unpacks the principles that I've shared this morning, and mainly that we do that by sharing a meal together and sharing the stories of what God is doing in our lives. It's very simple. It's very approachable. Not only that, we have a gathering class on community. And orientation starts this week. So come on out to the gathering or go into the courtyard at the kiosk and sign up for that or get more information on that. Now, for those of you that cannot imagine adding another thing in your life at the moment, I get it. But remember, we're talking about community not as an event but as a way of life. An event or regular meeting can be helpful in training us in community life, but the point is to live our fellowship and communion with one another in our everyday living. So if that's you, if you are so busy, I would encourage you to start where you're at. Tom Walker, our community life pastor, likes to point out that everyone has to meet, eat a meal at some point, right? Usually most normal people eat three meals a day. That's 21 a week. Could you maybe possibly sometime just be like, Hey, friend, want to get a meal? Want to get a cup of coffee? I'd love to hear your story. It's as simple as that. Take one of those 21 meals a week and make that a touch point with a group of Christians or another Christian family. I remember growing up at our church in Vista, there were two families in our church that had dinner at Mama's and Papa's, which is a little pizzeria, every Tuesday evening, and it was a standing invitation to anybody to come. And they did this for years and years and years. And these family, they developed deep friendship and community with one another that lasts to this day all because of a regular meal and consistent time spent together. We can do that. Maybe you are a family with young kids. You already feel completely maxed out for any of the on-ramps that I offered or just mentioned, you can't even do evening home group because of school schedules and proper bedtimes. Again, I get it. What opportunities, though, do you have? Where are you at? Remember, this must be stronger than that. You might have to rearrange some things in your life. You're going to have to be creative. So what about a regular meeting on a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon with another family at a park? Let your kids run wild, get the wiggles out, they'll sleep great. Maybe for some of you it's just like, hey, we're going to meet up at this restaurant on Sunday evening, you know, buy your own food, but we're just going to spend time together. 
a regular meetup at the park or beach on a Saturday, Sunday afternoon, just determining to get to know a few individuals or family at a deeper level in order to encourage them and affirm them as fellow disciples of Jesus to affirm their belovedness. As a human being, you and I, we are created, made for fellowship, not just with God, but with other human beings. And when we live in this loving community, fellowship and communion with both God and with others, we experience a deep joy and fullness, even in spite of circumstance. Going back to our passage this morning, John wrote, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is a powerful and fascinating statement. I want to end on this note. When we love one another, the invisible God who is love is made manifest, known, and is present through us. And I mentioned that earlier, but John adds this. When we love one another, God's love is made complete in us. It's a really interesting statement. You know the word complete that John uses here is a word that's used many times in the New Testament. It's the word teleos. It's used by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. You must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. To be made perfect, to to be made complete, to be made whole. And John is saying that when you and I love one another... The love of God is made perfect or complete in us or through us. What he's saying there is that God has sent his love into the world. He has lavished his love upon us, but it is not so that we would hoard it and keep it for ourselves. It is that we might be transformed by the love of God and that it would flow from our lives out to our neighbor, even to our enemy, that we would practice the love of God in Christian community. And when we do this, guess what? God's love has completed the purpose for which it was sent out. It has been perfected in us. My dear friends, let us love one another.